0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm honoured to be speaking a man, to a man behind the music of Tom Clancy, the PUBG main theme, uh, Halo, Killer Instinct, and more. Atlas Plug, aka Tom Salter. How are you doing? How are you, Reese? I am good. I'm good. It's on. Uh, it's an honour to be speaking to you. You've been in the oh, industry thanks. for a long time, so <laughs> a <laughs> yes, veteran. Yes, yes I A veteran at this point.
1: <laughs> Getting up there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how you got the name Atlas Plug, because it sounds like a, a a hacker name, a cyber hacker name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny you should say that. Um, it came about, is a, a little known secret, well actually I don't know if it's little known anymore, but if you take my last name, Salta, and you put it backwards, it's Atlas. So the oh, whole thing right. Atlas... Uh, there's a, there's a fun story behind it. Actually, I gave a, a TEDx talk a couple of years back on that. If you, if you Google my name with TEDx, you'll see it. But the shorter version of that is that when I came out of a 15-year music industry career as a producer and a songwriter and programmer, I started touring back in 1990 with Bobby Brown. And, and you know, I was always into the music scene, uh and I was always a gamer but never combining the two together. Um in 2001 when I got the the bug to get into the gaming industry, uh I realized that all of my record credits really w- wasn't going to help me impress any game devs. They didn't really care what records I worked on or anything like that. So um So instead of me being like another of the many wannabe composers starting with no credits, uh, I got the sense that really the best way in is to avoid the front door and come in the side door, which was come in as an artist. Because I was noticing that a lot of big artists were being licensed in, in video games, you know, especially driving games and things like that you know artists like Crystal Method and Moby and Chemical Brothers and stuff like that. So, I'm like, wait. I I can be an artist. I have I know how to make albums. I do elect I can do electronic music. I can do all this kind of stuff. Uh how about I just come up with this fictitious artist moniker and um and then approach the industry that way, make an entire album of music that's perfect for licensing in video games and TV and film and trailers and all that stuff. And then maybe if I can impress the, the video game industry that way, you know, I kind of come in through the, that door. And then once, once I'm in, once I kind of started establishing some credits, take off the mask, so to speak, and say, hey, you know, I would love to also score as a composer some of your games. So that was the crazy, desperate plan. Um... And it worked. <laughs> it's like one of, the, one, of the, one of the few actual plans that I had in my life that actually worked the way I was hoping it would work out. Um, so Plug is a play on Unplugged, which is traditionally known as acoustic music. And since I was doing electronic, it was Plug or Plugged. But instead of sounding like Atlas Shrugged, I did Atlas Plug. And that's <laughs> it.
0: good story good story well i'm glad it worked i'm glad it worked out for you
1: it worked it worked before i even finished the album microsoft wanted to license four songs off the record in a video game called rally sport challenge two so this is going back to 2003 and after that it was crackdown and then you know project gotham and a bunch of other stuff and then i started getting into getting some scoring opportunities
0: was it always the plan to get into the video game industry, though? Or were you originally wanting to do, say, film or television or just stick to the traditional uh, working with musical artists?
1: Yeah, no. The, well, the original plan, if you, if you asked me when I was 20 years old, the original plan was to be a you know, big, famous record producer. That was, that was the plan. Um, but in 2001, you might recall the world changed quite a bit, almost overnight. Besides 9-11, high-speed internet came out, and Napster came out, and LimeWire came out, and all of these high-speed music piracy services came out. Even myself, it was so easy. You can just open up LimeWire, and you can type a name of a song and download it for free. High quality. It was like, so it took a genius like Steve Jobs to figure out how to monetize this into something that was actually legal and beneficial. For everybody. And uh, that's when he created iTunes. Now, at that same time, I noticed that, you know, the record industry was losing and going to lose a lot of revenue. It was going to, it was going to woo. And um, if you look back at the the analytics, I guess you'd say, the charts, look at the music industry revenue, you'll see right around 2001, it tanked. It started to go down, and along with it was all my dreams and aspirations to be this big famous record producer, you know, trying to raise a family when the industry, when no one's buying music anymore, and music was being devalued, you know, people Mm -hmm. didn't buy an album, they just want to buy that single, if they were even going to buy it, it it's going to be 99 cents instead of like a $10 record, you know, the idea of getting record um, deals and all that, like, it started to change a lot. So that's where I kind of, um, like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, and right along the same time is when games in 2001, again, Halo came out. You know, I started playing Rainbow Six and Prince of Persia. And that's when, like, the epiphany uh, and the clouds parted happened is uh, when I, I, uh, got, I got the bug. I'm like, wait a minute. I've always loved video games, but this music, I can do this. I love this stuff. You know, and uh, so that's when I got the crazy idea, and so, that's when the transition happened.
0: So, how long was the transition between, say, when you well, you h- had the revelation that the music industry was going down the toilet, pretty much because yes. of LimeWire, and then realizing that you could compose for video games?
1: Yeah, uh, it all happened within a the, the entire life cycle be- from when I panicked. To when I actually got my first placement was probably three years.
0: Okay, so you went on any anxiety pills or anything during that time? I hope
1: not at that time. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Following that, of course, but but no, not at that time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny, funny. Did um, so? Were you aware of how the structure of video game works in terms of the time frame? That you have, because obviously, say with television and film, it's very, very fast-paced. And video games, it's right. more spread out, right? So you have more usually ease in terms of how much time usually. you have to de- deliver that product.
1: Yeah, usually, yes, absolutely. Um, so I was not really from everything was a learning experience for me in, in those days, you know, because I had never done music to picture of any kind whatsoever. Um, so that was a huge learning curve to kind of just get into that headspace like, whoa, you know, and uh, it, it was a bit of a, woo, it was a bit of a sink or swim kind of moment, especially when I got like the, the first big game that I had to create original music for was Need for Speed Underground 2. So not a, a, not a minor title and uh, man, that was a, definitely an eye-opening experience to say the least. You know, if I could do that again now, it'd be a walk in the park. But in those days, it was like, whoa, yeah, I wasn't used to that whole thing and all the revisions and then really trying to adapt to things. There was a lot of new skills to learn, not to mention I was mixing in 5.1 and it was like, whoa, what <laughs> was this a good idea? You know, but, uh, but yes, it was a good idea. I'm so glad that it all turned out the way it did.
0: Was it a? Was there a lot of back and forth with the director? You'd submit something and it'd yes. be like, "No, I don't like this. Go back oh, and yes. redo it."
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That, inf- infamously so uh, on that particular gig.
0: Okay. You know, I
1: started keeping a. I, th- I think I was having a nervous breakdown. I started keeping a chart. You know, an Excel thing of like how many revisions. I think it was like an average of five revisions per thing. I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> this is insane. You know, and little details. It's like really, you know. But I'm glad I had that experience. I, you know, it was definitely—I felt like I went through boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I joke with him now. I'm still—I still know him professionally, and, and, and uh, uh, we're we're friendly. And you know, he's awesome. and He's great. He's known for what he does. Uh, he's still in the industry, not as an audio director, but um, but it was great. It was a, it was a good. If I was going to really learn and 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 develop a hard shell and you know figure it all out, that was a very good boot camp to go through
0: mm. you've taken on franchises like say halo and killer instinct where you're kind of taking it uh, you're basically approaching it after someone's already kind of applied a signature sound to it right yeah. so martin right. with um halo and even mick gordon with killer instinct very much so is there a pressure from your end to try and keep it close to the original feel that uh, the original composers did, or do you just kind of do your own thing? Or is it a combination of both?
1: It is a combination of both. I'm usually the one that will pressure myself when it comes to that. Um, you know, in the, in the case of Halo, first of all, I worked on about six different Halo titles. So they, they all had different parameters. You know, the, the obviously the anniversary titles where i was part of a team that recreated the original score the goal was to recreate the original score but enhance it like Mm. this is the way it should have sounded you know a decade later kind of thing using updated sounds of technology and live orchestras and better more modern i don't know synths and all that kind of stuff um but then when i went to do the original halo stuff let's say like spartan assault and spartan strike and you know, that's where there was this, almost there was a, a divide in thinking because those are the same days where, you know, Halo 4 was coming out. And, and you know, and it's like, well, you know, uh, do, do they go, are we going after the, what I call the, the legacy sound of Halo? You know, what I loved in 2001, or are we going into a new direction? I joined the camp of wanting to preserve, like, the original DNA, what Marty and Michael Salvatore did. That was just, for me, you, you don't want to play around. That's a formula that was ingenious. It worked great. Uh, and there's no need to change that. In my opinion, that's like, you know, changing, taking John Williams off of some of the the the, the, the films. You know, mm. um, you don't do that. It's just, it's blasphemous. So I really love that sound. And I put a lot of effort um You know, I think I was the champion of wanting to keep that sound. You know, uh, there 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 was no pushback, um, but I I was so adamantly interested in finding a way to preserve the essence of what makes Halo music Halo music. So I really studied, and because I recreated two of the scores, you know, I like it was part of my DNA already. It's like I know, you know, the sounds and the voicings and the style. So, it, to recreate it that was kind of like a dream come true. It was very scary because I'm like now I have to create original music for a top-down shooter, which is not Halo, which is not what Halo was. So a top-down always actiony kind of shooter but to always but still sound like Halo, but if you listen to those soundtracks, it really does. You close your eyes and you f- you feel like yeah, this is definitely a Halo game. Mm. You know. Uh but with with uh Killer Instinct, I think across the board it was all about You know, certainly Mick Gordon is Mick Gordon, you know, and I'm me and I brought in Clayton, uh, Cell Dweller. uh, And, you know, we we all have very strong sounds, but I hugely respected uh, what Mick did. And I know the fans love it. There was no problem. Mick Mick nailed it. So, you know, I was honored to actually, Mick suggested that I work on it. Um, And I was like, Mick, I mean, what <laughs> you're crazy dude what are you doing you know um so i was scared i was really scared i said you know because mix got a certain sound you know and um i just want to make sure that whatever i bring to the table is going to satisfy people it, it's gonna be somewhat different but i didn't go to make it different like no 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 that was a poor decision we should make it sound like this no no no, no. it wasn't like that but I wanted to find my way of, of, of um, approaching that character, so to speak, comparing it to uh, actors, you mm. know, my take on it, um, just because I am me. You know, I have unique brain and set of skills and musical styles, but I know the way I perceive that original music. I wanted to kind of bring that and translate it into my own version of it.
0: So did Mick approach you to take over for him? Or did you he
1: gave hit- me a heads up, yes. He basically called me up, and, and uh, I had already known him. And, uh, you know, so he said, I'm, I've recommended you. So he's the one who made the connection, believe it or not.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would never approach that. <laughs> you know, but, hey, guys, no, 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 forget Mick. Call me <laughs> up, man. Let, let's do this. No, no, it wasn't like that. No, Mick, I had Mick's uh, blessing, I believe, so...
0: Because he know, has a anyway. very unique way of mixing as well. You can usually yes. tell by the way he mixes. And obviously, yes. you've been mixing for a long time. Yes. Um, so was there any pressure to try and mix it the way he would? Or did you just apply all of your industry knowledge to just mix it the way you would mix it?
1: Um, I, you know, um, uh, mixes have all kinds of different, styles, right? There's different approaches to it. So, part of the sound of what makes mixed music sound that way is a big part of the production and the mix. So that was part of the the musical formula to consider. You know, how to, you know, that super in your face sound. It's like ultra, it's you know, it's I mean it's hard to describe, but you listen to it it's like you know what it is. So I I had enough experience over the decades to, to be able to analyze something and understand how that's done in some way and, and put that back into it. So, yeah. So if you listen to my stuff and his stuff, it, it definitely sounds like it's, they belong in the same ecosystem, so to speak. And that was not accidental.
0: (laughs) Cause what's your approach to mixing? I mean, obviously there's no set template that you can apply across the board. Right. Right. That's because every, every track is uniquely different, different frequencies, different instruments. Um, different everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So, but do you still have like something that you start off with before you even tackle the mix?
1: Um, well, yes. I mean, you know, a huge part of what makes a mix a good mix, believe it or not, isn't even the mix, it's the content. <laughs> you know, the, the best way to make a good mix is to use good sounds to start with. You know, I've seen that uh, some of my best mixes are the simplest ones. I just had the right sounds in there. And uh, that's been always my goal and my approach. You know, back when I was starting out making records um, in the mid-90s, I was so like, I was just, I had this assumption that there was such a... Um, uh, you know this difficult, multi-stepped, elusive process with a million layers and gadgets and EQs and mixers and compressors and magic sauce, you know, and I was always analyzing and trying to revert, and I overmixed things. you know, I, I would used to just uh, put things on it because you, you're supposed to. you know, oh, you can't have a a base without a compressor on it, oh, you can't have a. You know, a kick without a compressor or uh, or an EQ or this thing or you know, and uh, now I think the way I approach anything, but uh, also mixing is what's the least I can do. Let's let's just listen to what's there first, and then what's the le what's that master stroke? That ah, there it is, right there. You know. Um just break it down to its simplest things and just find those few masterful decisions that are going to make it work. So if you look at my mixes today versus 20 years ago, um, on, the, on the average, on the whole, you'd probably notice there's a lot less going on uh, when you compare apples and apples.
0: Mm-hmm. So could you record something? And then during the mixing phase, you realize that there's too much going on, so you'll remove stuff out yes. of it.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. absolutely. Um, even Mick himself, I remember him saying at one of the talks that I heard him give, you know, and uh, since we're speaking of, of, uh, of mix, you know, and he, he had a similar thought process to, to, to me is, you know, how much can I take out before it doesn't work anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, you know, that's, that's something I've learned just listening to great music from the 80s. You know, when you listen to stuff where there, there was great limitations on the music, you know, keep it in mind in those days, professionally, you know, they were using a 24-track tape recorder. You know, some, some producers got a little crazy and started linking them together, like Mutt Lang with Def Leppard, you know, having a hundred layers of the vocals, you know, using tape. You know, that's why it sounds that way. Um, but um, for the most part, I mean, if you listen to a Michael Jackson record, you know, with Bruce Swede, who was one of the greatest engineers that ever lived, in my opinion, um, you can hear every little sound, and there's not that much. You can listen. Oh, there's the bass. There's just that simple drum. There's the one guitar. There's this extra little part here. It, everything is, has its space, and it's very clean, and it's like there's nothing... There, that doesn't belong. There's nothing there that's superfluous. You can everything has its, its purpose. And uh, I always learn from that, that for me, that's school. You know? That's why I'm such an active listener because I'm always trying to figure it out like it's, I'm learning something.
0: So how often do you mix for before you go away? Because you know how your ears get tired over time. Yes. So do you mix for, say, like 20-minute session, then go away for 10 minutes, come back? Is, is that what you do? Or
1: um, what's your process? There's... It, the time depends on the, the music itself. I, I find that, let's say, if I had to make a gross generalization, I'd say the heavier, the more dense the more fatiguing the music is the 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 uh, the quicker i fatigue you know the quicker my ears fatigue so if i'm doing something that's really heavy and and hard and like no 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 like killer instinct um you know i'm not going to go as long as i can go with something that has a little bit more air to it and that's not as demanding and pressing and you know on my uh, on my ears so, I, yeah, I don't really think of it that way uh, as far as, well, I can only go to 20 minutes or an hour. But uh, I will say this, is that um, the more experience I have, the less breaks I need. Uh, or let's put it this way, certainly the less time I need to step away. You know, sometimes now, you know, I can step away for a few minutes and come back and have a lot more clarity that used to take me hours or a night in the past. But I still benefit from, you know, early, you know, the next morning perspective. That's always great. You know, sometimes th- when something, I'm like, something's really important and I got to have that mix just right and I finish at the end of the day, and I think this is perfect, I'm going to not send it until I listen again in the next morning.
0: Smart move.
1: Yeah. But yeah, yeah. not—it's not as bad. It's not as necessary as it used to be.
0: Right, but you don't come in the next morning and be like, "Oh my gosh, this is oh horrible. yeah, right.
1: That's a nightmare." <laughs> yeah. That rarely happens. Thank God. Um, you know, maybe if I'm having a tough time with something, perhaps. But uh, but but um, but you usually, if I have one of those, like, oh, it's oh, there it is. That's why. You know, I usually figure it out, and, and, and uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I get that like, oh, God, this is all crap, I'm just starting over, you know, and I thought it was great the night before. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been there.
0: <laughs> well, uh, how do you maintain that quality, uh, quality though, in, in film and television? Because the deadlines mm. are so much more, well, they're more, more strict, right? So you might have to do a lot more overnighters, days in a row, as opposed to gaming where you've kind of got a bit more time. Well, well, yeah, I think, you
1: know, in in any situation where the timelines are shorter, uh, the thing that I know that film and television composers benefit from quite a bit is a bit of a cookie cutter process, a bit of the template model, a bit of the rinse and repeat process. They're not always or necessarily ever reinventing. It's really about once you get that formula, the rest of it is the same. And uh, not to say it's not difficult, um, but um, I find that when I'm doing my game stuff, um, there tends to be a lot more variety and rebuilding sound palettes and things and a lot more moving parts and details on the second to second there's there's a lot less filler um you know when i'm doing game stuff Uh, but also keep in mind i'm not really known as a a tv and film composer at this current moment um i'm not i'm not actively i mean when the right opportunity comes by that's fine and i've done films and stuff but um my heart is really in, in games, quite frankly, and production, songwriting, production, um, and I even have quite a number of uh, of things in uh, film trailers in the trailer world as well. So, yeah, I'm not into, uh, you know, a lot of my colleagues, contemporaries are very much in the in the movie scene and stuff, and quite a number of them are not very happy campers. I mean, they are, there's no life, they're just working around the clock, and they're miserable, and... Yeah, I'm not saying it's always like that, I mean, but, but that's not uh, that's not attractive to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, in any you, way. You actually echo what a lot of other game composers have said to me that have, have been in that world, that yeah. it's just insanely stressful.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need more stress, I have enough. So, um, you know, games is something that really speaks to me. I've, I've been doing it now for what, over 15 years? I've always loved games. Uh, you know, I still play games. I collect arcade games. I have a little mini arcade uh, in my basement. And, you know, video games just takes me back to my youth. I mean, in case you can't see this, I mean, you know, I mean, come on now. I'm a big kid, and, and, and games is a big part of who I am. So being able to do music for them it, it helps keep me young and, and, and enthused
0: <laughs> and excited. You know? So... Yeah. So, how do you find the time to even play games, though? Because you must be insanely busy. Yeah. I mean, plus, you do your master masterclass stuff, and you've done TED talks and things like that. I mean, yeah. You're obviously yeah. a very business savvy guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I. For me, having time to play video games is a luxury. Uh, the way I do it most routinely now, I got this idea from my brother-in-law. It was ingenious. Is uh, is I use it while I'm exercising so so I will I got myself a recumbent bike and uh, I have it in my basement and I have this big screen and I get the recumbent bike and I hold my, my controller, my Xbox controller and I'll play games while I'm, while I'm exercising, while I'm sweating for 30 minutes to an hour and so that's the way I can justify <laughs> doing it during the week that's, you know, or fitting into my life. That's but, yeah.
0: true multitasking right there. I'm telling you. Yeah. But the, the,
1: the, the tricky thing is, though, I've noticed that some games are better to play to than others. Because some, you know, like, let's say if you're, like, racing games or whatever, or uh, or if you're, you know, anything that takes, like, a lot of go, 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 you can go really fast and recumbent. it. But anytime you're sneaking around, like I'm playing Assassin's Creed... You know, and I'm, I'm sneaking around. And I, I realize I just stopped pedaling because I'm like going real slow. I'm like, no, you can't do that. But anyway, so, but I figured
0: it out. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Do you ever get a writer's block? Do you ever just hit a, hit a point where you're just like, oh my gosh, I have nothing coming to me?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, I'd be lying if, if uh, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a constant. Uh, I'm like, I need a fresh idea. Ready. Um, but I will tell you this. Is that I don't really experience anymore, thank God, uh, what what you're describing as writer's block. And what I mean is this: when I am ready to sit down and create, and I'm in the right headspace, the ideas are always there. I'm able to tap into that flow. Doesn't mean that the first thing I play is is going to be ingenious. Doesn't mean that but it does mean I can start creating right away. And there's a certain creative process that I've learned to, to consent to, I guess you'd say, to tap into um, over the years. Um, in fact, it's one of those uh, talks that I've given publicly and I even put into a um, one of my masterclass courses that I've recently really released is called The Creative Process. And I find that When you are in the right headspace, which put in a very simple way is closer to a little kid in a sandbox rather than an adult going to work. When I can be more of the kid in the sandbox, creativity is nonstop. But when I have to be the adult on a deadline, the professional... Uh, And it's, I kind of psych myself out with the pressure, and this has got to be ingenious, and people are gonna judge me. And when I start analyzing that, it stops, right? Um, When you take a little kid, you know, and you give him a box of crayons in kindergarten, you generally don't hear the kids say, yeah, I'm not very creative. (laughs) I'm not a creative person. Come on. That kid's going to, it doesn't matter. They're going to draw. It's going to be scribbles or beautiful face or anything, whatever. But they're creating something. We all have creativity. Doesn't mean we all have the same kind of creativity, but it's there. So writer's block, in my opinion, is when something is getting in the way. Something is getting in the way. And typically it's the left side of my brain getting in the way or my ego is getting in the way or the way I feel health wise is getting in the way. Like I'm tired. I didn't get enough sleep or I'm fighting a cold or I'm thinking about I'm stressed or I'm I'm mad or, you know, those are the things that cause writer's block.
0: Are you self-aware though? Can Can you realize when you're in that state? I think so.
1: El- yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um one of the things that's really helped me over the 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 years I've gotten into meditation. And uh I generally do it every day and it's it's wonderful. It's a, a an incredible it was a life-changing thing for me uh that really helped me um calibrate and clear and purge and become closer to the essence of who I am on the inside and kind of identify when there's other stuff that's flying around and whatever. And it kind of just calms down the whole, um, there's a name for it, the, the nervous system that has to do with anxiety and all that. I forgot what it's called. Any of the psychologists out there might know it. Um, but anyway, I just found it's this wonderful, good thing, just overall um, in every way. And so I am very, very self-aware. And I think it's important to be self-aware. You know, okay, what, what is this? What's, get, what's getting at me now? You know, is it, am, I, am I stressing about something? Am I preoccupied? Am I worried? Am I scared? Am I, you know, whatever it is? And uh, quite, quite simply, just usually the best cure is to get up and walk away.
0: Do you, you know? do you ever meditate to your own music like an ambient piece no, of your own no, music? No.
1: No. No. No, definitely not. Um uh one I stopped meditating to music altogether um, because I tend to find it distracting even if it's the most calming beautiful music I tend to just focus on the music. You know, that's that could be more me than most people because I'm I'm like wow that's beautiful. I wonder if that's a chord trinity uh oh what's that pad? Oh wow that voice is that a real vo-? like I'm <laughs> You know, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. I can't, that's not meditation. That's relaxation, but I'm not meditating. I'm not clearing my mind. I'm not going into into just complete blank. Um, no, I, I meditate to silence. In fact, I use noise-canceling headphones to just literally take a quiet room and make it like pff, nothing. Really? So, um, but yeah, no, I'm an active listener and, and my own music would be so incredibly distracting, even more so. Because I'd be like, damn it, I could have done this better. <laughs> you know? So
0: how long do you meditate for?
1: 20-minute uh, 20 20 minute blocks. Uh, the, the, my goal is two 20-minute blocks a day. Uh, I've been averaging one a day <laughs> for the most part. Sometimes, though, if it's one of those days and I'm like, there's a, things are just flying in every direction and I'm getting pinged. And I just like, there's so many things. Because there are, there are a lot of things that I juggle. Um, besides the fact that I am married with kids and and you know just life in general and, 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 and trying to have a life um, you know but between goodness gracious the the, the, the numerous projects and the, and the the master class and the, and, and the the trailers and I, I'm working on a software product and I'm wor- you know like there's it's endless I, there's this crazy list that I have like all the things I'm like okay, I'm only gonna do this today I'm only gonna do this today or, you know and I have to schedule my life. You know, and I, and I have to schedule time to make sure I'm not working too. You know, to kind of have that balance, that life balance, you know? Yeah,
0: totally. How did the whole sure. masterclass thing come about? Were you approached to do that? No,
1: or? no, 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 this is, this is my own masterclass. This is not the commercially known one that you see advertised where they have all different people teaching you different things. This is my own. And it came about because, before the pandemic, believe it or not. It just happened to be fortuitous Timing in that sense, um but it came about because for over a decade, um I would always enjoy speaking in universities and conferences, giving panels and presentations um I still do um um you know I speak at n y u every year I give a video game workshop and, and I've been doing all these things I put together so much curriculum and I can just pop down and, you know, talk on anything, you know, in this whole world. And I'm like, you know what? Why not? This is limiting. I mean, it's great to do this and I enjoy the interaction, but I find it. Why am I waiting around for a school to call me or a conference to happen once a year? Why don't I just put something together that will give the opportunity to people around the world who don't have the resources to travel or the funds to go to a very expensive university or a conference why not make it an affordable thing that's available via the internet that you can own and watch over and over and over again but also have a two-way dynamic to it as well you know the great thing about a conference is you go there and then maybe if you want to ask a question you can raise your hand um Or, you know, speak to the person maybe afterwards in the hallway or whatever and get into conversation. So in addition to the master class, which I wanted to put together, I also wanted to have a way to interact with students on a one-to-one as much as I could. So that's why I also integrated, like, everyone who takes, let's say, Game Music Essentials, which is the first course, they can schedule a a, a private call with me and I can speak with them one-to-one. Uh, and evaluate whatever music they submitted. And there's also I have a monthly uh, live event where anyone who's taken the course can join me live on on um, on the web. and you know I can see them, they can see me, and they can ask questions. So it's kind of like having my own conference, but without the without the conference, and you're getting all that content in that two- way. Um, interaction, and and that's was why I put it together. And then the pandemic hit. I'm like, whoa! I better definitely like make sure this is out there and 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 publicize as much as I can. So we we kind of recently rolled it out, and I think people are starting to discover it.
0: Hmm. Because how long did it take you to construct it? Right? Because you have to construct like sessions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's. T- it took me a while. Uh. And you know. And. Because this was my first course, it it was kind of put together over a period of time. I wasn't even sure what the final product was going to look like when I started recording some of these videos. Uh, And then I realized that, oh, wow, this would be great to include in the Game Music Essentials. So, you know, let's say the creative process one, I think that was one of the first ones that I gave, um, recorded myself. I was wearing like a sweatshirt, you know, whatever. It wasn't like a very formal thing, you know, and by the time I knew this was what it was going to be, the last talk I gave was the business of game audio, which I think is uh, over, overlooked quite a bit in formal education when it comes to composing. It's like, it's great. I know the skills and the creative, but what about the business? You know, what about the business side? How do I, how do I get a gig? What, what do the contracts look like? What, what should I expect? How, what's my rate? you know, uh, whatever. So I put all that stuff and I was wearing a nice, you know, button down shirt. So, you know, going forward, now I understand what this is, but the content is all there and uh, it's very consolidated. In fact, it might be too dense. I I I think the comment I've gotten is like, oh my God, this could easily be twice the time, you know, but you go through it like so fast. There's so much there, but it's good because you can just watch it over and over again. It's not like the one-time event where you have to like, oh my God, I can take notes. Oh my God, what do you say? You know, yeah, yeah, it's totally. All there, so.
0: And music is very broad as well, right? So, I mean, yes. to try and condense stuff. I mean, because how long are decisions?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think the, the whole thing is about three hours if you d- distill it all down, and that's several talks. It's creative process talk, that's understanding implementation, that's the basics of game audio, that's the business side. That's not a lot of time when you think about the content that I cover. Um, but... Um, but it is arranged quite densely and it's chock full of information. So, and and examples and multimedia, you know, so.
0: And I suppose you're still learning stuff as you go as well. Always. Always.
1: Oh, I'm I'm a a big student. I mean, I'm a life student. Absolutely. For sure. I'm Mm. always
0: learning. So, are you going to do like a second what is it a second course i suppose
1: oh yeah Yeah. i'm definitely going to do a series of courses so i called it the tom salta Masterclass series so that's the umbrella and then inside of that there's going to be various courses and content the first one and the only one right now that i launched with was game music essentials which is perfect for anyone who's interested in what it takes and, and curious about game music like can i do this like, how do you do it? I don't really know. I don't know what to, you know, and it's not that much of a of a commitment or an investment that you're just like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. You know, it's not like going to school or taking a major or something. Not only that, but it, it's perfect for 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 students because then uh, I teamed up with a lot of amazing companies out there like Heaviosity and Cinesamples and, and Arturia, and they're giving students of my courses huge discounts. Some are doing 50% discounts. So, if you sign up for the course, you're, you're, get, you're saving tons of money on all this other gear, too. Um, so, it's – any and anyone could be a student.
0: <laughs> That's right. Oh. No. Well, you're a student how or young or until, old? doesn't until matter. Until the day so. you die, really. You never stop learning. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, how did the PUBG theme come about? And were you aware that PUBG was going to take off like it did? Uh... Did you foresee it? Did you play it what? and were like, oh, my gosh. This is the next big thing.
1: Yeah, I knew it was huge. It came, I got uh, contacted by, um, by PUBG, basically, and uh, they were looking for a composer um, to create the official theme. Um, this was a really interesting situation because when I was contacted, PUBG was the most downloaded game on PC already. Before I even got in- involved, it was always like in beta for like, what, a year, two years? It was out there. So the beta version has a completely different theme. So I'm like, wait. Okay, so you ha- let me get this straight. You have this hugely popular game in beta that's like the most downloaded thing in history or something like that. Maybe the second most downloaded in history. But it was like, I, I'm not even going to say the numbers, but it was stupid. And you want a new theme. i like, yes, we want to have, you know, the, a proper theme and, you know, really something that's going to stand the test of time and be recognizable as PUBG. And I'm like, okay, you know? So that was really cool and I was honored. Um, And I was nervous too. I'm like, okay, because once again, you have this, this interesting situation where you've got all these fans that are really into this. I mean... This is a whole culture, this game. This was before Fortnite. (laughs) You know, this was like the battle royale. This redefined the genre, right? Or whatever. Um, And so I had to create something distinctly different because otherwise, why am I doing it? (laughs) But it also had to be something that was, that felt right. It felt like, okay, we're going to, now it's real. So the game you've all known and loved. If you're a beta uh, player, here's your new theme. You know, I'm like, ah, ah, <laughs> okay. You know, but anyway, I, I just, and they did have some, uh, they didn't just leave me high and dry. I mean, they definitely sa- said, look, we love, we love the heroic um, melody that you created for Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter. We love like the, the electronic EDM elements in Halo, Spartan Assault. We like, you know, so they started, they really love the percussion of, you know, this and that, and they kind of laid out references with things that I was, that I actually did, which is probably why they, they, uh, wanted to have me do it. And, um, so following their guidance and their preferences, um, we, uh, that's how I started with the theme and, um, yeah, it's, it was very interesting the way it came about. And, uh, but the thing most people don't realize about this is that, the, the full theme isn't even heard in the game. Okay? The game plays the theme in the menu, right? It's like kind of menu music. It's not that crazy. But there's a whole second half to it. That's the big action-y part. Now, when I originally did it, I assumed this is a menu piece. So I kind of kept it somewhat mellow. Somewhat mellow. And, uh, after I submitted the whole thing, they're like, sounds great, but we want it to, like, in the second part, we want it to really get big and action-y, you know, da-da. You know, so, I'm like, but this is a menu theme, right? I mean, normally you don't want to have this big action thing when you're, you know, going over what outfit you want to wear or what guns, what your layout is. But they said, no, 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 we want it. Uh, and turns out that they cut the second half out in the menu. They used the first half. But if you go on online and Spotify or whatever, you can hear the full theme, and the full theme is it's quite fun.
0: It's funny all this behind the scenes stuff eh, and what actually <laughs> transpires, and what actually is the final product as opposed to what happens behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, there's always a story, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you still get a chance to network because obviously that is primarily the biggest thing in the in any type of Creative industry, right? Networking is—it's. It, yes. They say it's not what you know; it's who you know. Do you yes. do you still manage to network a lot? I mean, particularly with in the day and age of COVID and everything right. being more Zoom based, although yes. normality is somewhat returning. Um, yes. Do you manage to do a bit of networking still, or are you just so busy that you don't get a chance?
1: Yes, uh, I, I do. Um, in, in one regard, I've done more. Instead of using the word networking, which kind of implies you're meeting new people that you've never met before, I've done a lot of relationship building and nurturing during COVID that I more so than I've done in any other period in my life. And I think that's because this whole pandemic forced us to realize that wait a minute, we're like a button click away from a face to face conversation with someone. Why do I have to wait for a conference? to speak to you like you're sitting next to me this is great mm. so i'm like now that you know now it's the thing you don't schedule a zoom meeting have a zoom meeting. you want to do a zoom you know or whatever you know facetime whatever it is but so i've done more of that now and i'm like hey man we haven't seen each other why why don't we schedule a call and they're like sure let's do it and then i you know we we schedule a call together uh but that idea when we also when you say network that 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 has a connotation of this serendipitous meeting somebody new thing and that has been i think more of a challenge let's say you're talking to this one person here and you're in a crowd and you're holding your drink and then someone comes by and like oh hey bob how are oh i want you to meet so and so yeah that hasn't happened as much you know and and there i do miss that kind of thing as well um but What is nice and wonderful, especially in that I've gotten into adding this whole dimension of teaching and connecting with new people into my life, Um, I've met so many uh, wonderful new people and connections just through my educational outlets, you know, because all the time I'm getting, you know, you're able to schedule a call with me. And so I might look at my week's calendar. I'm like, oh, wow, here's someone I haven't met, you know, so they're actually reaching out to me um they might not be a business connection so to speak um but i'm meeting you know because i've been in the business so long i think um a lot of word of mouth uh you know people switch jobs and go from this company to this company so i do stay in touch with as many people as i can who i've developed relationships with over the years And a lot of times I'll get introduced, oh, you know, I'm leaving here, but I'd like to introduce you to so-and-so who's taking over for me. So there is a bit of that serendipitous meeting new people element, just due to the nature of the momentum of having a network already Mm. and having it grow.
0: I do think COVID will have permanently changed things though. There'll be some things that even after normality somewhat returns, this will still be a common way of, yeah, with and people. I think
1: that's one of the few benefits, uh, one of the few silver linings to come out of this pandemic, I um, agree. you know, is, is that, that this is going to be a lot more, uh, happen a lot more often, and I think it's for the best, quite frankly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you worked on Prince of Persia, were you aware of Middle Eastern music? Were you quite familiar with it, or did you have to go away and do a lot of research?
1: Oh, uh, no, I was very familiar with it. I mean, not, not like a musicologist familiar with it, but Prince of Persia was one of the, one of my dream bucket list games to do. Um, there was a, a wonderful story behind, before I got it, five years before I was hired to do Prince of Persia, I was walking through the streets of San Francisco uh, through uh, GDC, and uh, I was so, like, it was such a dream to do Prince of Persia, and I would just, it was so on my mind. Um, and I remember hearing this sound bouncing off the buildings. It sounded like a metallic bowing sword, but pluck strings. And I was like, what is that? It was this hypnotizing kind of music. And, um, so I like, like I'm walking around, like, where's that coming from? And I finally found the person, his name was Michael Maisley. And he was playing something that he created called a symbolom. Uh, And it was like a zither, but but technically it was from ancient Persia. I did not know that originally. Um, But he created this thing where he put little clips on his fingers that were like metal feathers. And he would be able to pluck and bow the strings at the same time. And it had this really mesmerizing, mesmerizing kind of sound to it. And I went up to him and I bought his CDs and I said, you know... Hi, you know I'm Tom Salta, and uh, I just want to say I, your music is is magical. Um, there's this one game that if I ever get a chance to do it, I promise I'm going to reach out, I'm going to find you, and I want to hire you to play on it. You know, and he's like, "No, oh, nice to meet you. Okay, sure, great." You know, and uh, sure enough, fast forward five years, I remember that the I had to pitch on Prince of Persia, and I and I and I got selected, and uh, the first thing I did uh but after jumping up and down is uh I, I was like, okay, how am I gonna find this guy? You know, so I went out there and I actually was able to find him and get an email address and uh and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I told you that if I ever got hired for this project, I want to work with you. And he's like, I do remember you. Uh and sure enough I did. We actually did remote sessions. Uh this was at the dawn of um again, the earlier time frame of high speed internet and uh that was the first project that i ever did where i had musicians in other locations that i recorded that i didn't actually work with in person in the studio so i had michael in san francisco i hired him brought him into a recording studio we set up skype um i had a singer in italy azam ali was in los angeles at the time i believe um Judith Berard was in Italy. Bashiri Johnson was in Brooklyn. Um, I had a wonderful wind instrument, uh, instrumentalist in Sweden, Sandro. Um, so it was just amazing. I was like, this is a dream come true. I'm having like the world. This is like, right, I'm connected to everybody, you know? And I still, I, I still marvel at it. I mean, we're supposedly used to it by now, but it is a miraculous thing, I think, to be able to just, you know, collaborate with someone on the other side of the planet.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And it's it's quite seamless as well, isn't it?
1: Yes, it can be. I mean, those interactions, some of them were real-time and some of them were, here are the tracks, record them on your own, and then just put them, you know, send them to me, that kind of thing. And they would be sent via the internet, you know? Um, it was amazing. It just worked great. I'm like, this is incredible. I get these files here, drag this in here, you know? So, um, I, but I, uh, but, but the, your original question was that I study it. Um, no, I didn't, like, well, yes and no. Uh, if you listen to the, my score to Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, excuse me, the, the Forgotten Sands, The Sands of Time was my favorite score back in the early 2000s. I remember Stuart did that one. Loved the music on The Sands of Time. Um, when I did it, I really wanted to do something that felt authentic. Um, So we made a conscious decision to not put any Western orchestral instruments in it whatsoever. There's no violins, there's no French horns, there's no timpani, no orchestra. It's all um, ethnic instruments and unusual instruments, you know, and vocals and stuff. And I want it to be more of a tapestry of magical goodness um, rather than a Hollywood uh, type of Hollywoodized score. And uh, a and few people realized that, um, and I don't know why Ubisoft did this, but they released two versions of the same game with the same box art, but two completely different games and two di- completely different scores. Um, so, the, so the Forgotten Sands on the Xbox and PlayStation was a completely different game and a completely different score than the one that I did, which was the Nintendo Wii and the PlayStation Portable. Completely different. It had nothing to do with each other. It wasn't even the same story. It, it wasn't even having the same look. It was a, everything was different about it. And I think they could have gotten a lot more sales from their fans if they actually identified them. Like, wait, you like this? It's like, it's like Majora's Mask and, and Ocarina of Time. Those are two different games. Don't call them the same game. Mm. You know? Did you know that at the time, though? Yes. I did know it at the time. You know? did, did and they did not play me anything. You know, it was a completely separate project, different studios, everything. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. It was did weird. You, did you did you challenge them on it? Were you like, hey, not what are you doing? Who
1: am I to challenge them on it? I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly did. Like, I'm like, why are you do you realize this is probably not going to help? Because you're you're you know people. And it's, look, if I buy uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, you know, back in the day, I'm not going to buy it twice on a different platform, right? But if I buy, I would buy Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and and Assassin's Creed, you know, 2. Those are different games, right? I would buy that on different platforms or the same platform. But they, you know, because they're different names. They have different art. They have different everything, (laughs) You know so I don't know why they did that I just mm. I think they were probably trying to link it to the movie, which also came out.
0: oh yes, you yeah. know
1: I don't know. I think they just wanted this like Prince of Persia thing to go around with just one name and I, I
0: uh, marketing I, I don't get it. anyway <laughs> <laughs> final question before I let you go. Is there sure. any uh, game that you haven't worked on or franchise that you haven't worked on that you would really like to work on that Gosh. you haven't had the opportunity to gosh um well uh, hmm. you've done a lot Mm. that's why
1: yeah 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 um definitely something that it would always have to be something that i haven't done before because that's that's really why i do what i do um I love the variety. I love going on an adventure. It's like it's like going on a vacation. It's like, okay, last year I went to Spain. I don't want to go to Spain. I want to go to, you know, Morocco. Or I want to go to, you know, I want to go to different places. Italy or, you know, Africa or, you know, New Zealand or Australia. I want to, you know, I just, they're all different. So um, anything, any answer I will give you is probably going to be something that I haven't done before. Let's see. I haven't done a Skyrim type of game before where it's just this expansive, just mostly atmospherical, beautiful lost in it music kind of thing. Uh, I would love something like that. Uh, I would love something like, uh, like a mass effect or again, where it's just, you know, a, a, a space odyssey that just takes you to different worlds and different, you know, you just want to get lost in that. And, 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 you know, like a whole nother universe. Um, those are the kind of things that I think would attract me now. I would have also added to the list like a, a grand horror game, like a proper scare-you-out-of-your-pants horror game. But I'm happy to say that I'm working on that right now, and I can't say what it is. So um, <laughs> that one I'm checking off my bucket list, which is, uh, I love it. Um, so yeah, those are the first things that come to mind. I'm sure after we get off, I'm going to kick myself and be like, oh, darn it, of course. But um but uh, just know that I'm always open to new adventures, and that's, that's really why I do what I do.
0: And that's a brilliant place to wrap up. Tom? Yes. You're a legend. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. So um, where can everybody follow you on your social media and all your music and all that jazz?
1: Oh, uh, easy. TomSalta.com. That's my website. Um, my masterclass is the same location, and you click on masterclass or just slash Masterclass. Um, and uh, I'm on social media. So join my Facebook page. I have an Instagram um, and I'm easy to find. So reach out. I'd love to hear from
0: you. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much again. All, all right,
1: Reese. Great to be here. Thanks so much.
0: No worries. That's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Support the man, Tom, in all his future endeavors. And uh, stay safe. So, yeah.